Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Gene, and it's my great privilege to bring us God's word today. So um, I'm going to pray for us as we begin. Let's pray. Our great Father God, we thank you so much for your word and that you speak to us clearly through it. We pray now as we come to it that you would help us to pay attention and to listen. May we hear your words, put into practice, and live our lives for the Lord Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. I wonder if you've heard of a man named Jim Baker. There we go. Jim Baker was an American, is actually an American televangelist. He was huge in the 70s and the 80s. Uh, he and his then wife, Tammy Faye, used to host this wildly popular Christian talk show. Uh, people loved it, and they were donating heaps and heaps of money to it, millions and millions of dollars. They became so successful that they even were able to start up their own Christian theme park. Now, unfortunately, things were not as they seemed. It started with Jim being accused of sexual misconduct. Then it was him paying the victim hush money to keep it quiet, money from the ministry. Then it was fraud. They were using their influence and the ministry to fund their own lavish lifestyle with houses, cars, a private jet, you name it. Baker ended up going to jail. He was convicted on two dozen counts of fraud. He did his time, he was released. But even today, in his 80s, he's still doing televangelism. He hosts a show about the end of the world and he uses it as a way to peddle emergency survival products and fake COVID cures. Now, I wonder what you're thinking of uh, when you hear about someone like Jim Baker. If you're anything like me, you might be thinking, man, this guy's a hypocrite. He's preaching about Jesus, but he's not practicing what he preaches, is he? Now, don't we all know people like that? Don't we all know hypocritical Christians? People who call Jesus Lord, but their lives look nothing like what Jesus actually taught. People who say one thing, but live totally differently. Or perhaps their lives look good on the outside, but you just dig a little bit under the surface, and you find greed and dishonesty and immorality. Don't you just hate hypocrites? Especially hypocritical Christians who, who claim to be religious and follow Jesus but end up being the same or even worse than everybody else. Today, we're going to see what Jesus himself said about hypocrisy. Jesus, in our passage, asks this question. He asks, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? We're going to see that Jesus has strong words for hypocrites. But we're also going to see that hypocrisy is not a problem that's just out there. It's a problem in here, in our own hearts. Some of us know this all too well, and Jesus' words may sting and may be hard to hear for us. But let me tell you now that there is also hope, because Jesus loves even the worst of hypocrites. So please, stay with me until the end. We're going to see three things today. Number one, the fate of the hypocrite. Number two, the heart of the hypocrite. And finally, hope for the hypocrite. So let's come to the first point, the fate of the hypocrite. Firstly, we have to understand where this passage fits into the book of Luke. Uh, this section is actually the conclusion to Jesus' first big sermon in Luke, which takes up most of chapter 6, starting from verse 17. Uh, so Jesus is teaching a crowd of people here. He's teaching them what it means to be children of God living in his kingdom. 
So he's been teaching them things like uh, that the people who enter God's kingdom, they're not the rich or the powerful or, or the highly regarded. It's, no, it's the, it's the poor, it's the hungry, it's the downtrodden. It's the people who love their enemies, who are kind even to the people who mistreat them. People who are merciful and forgive rather than judging and condemning. So that's the lead up to our passage today. So I'm going to read for us again, starting from verse 46. Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they're like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed, and its destruction was complete. Did you see what Jesus is doing here? Jesus is concluding his sermon with a call to action. The people in the crowd, right, they were happy, they were very happy to listen to Jesus and hang on to his every word, but after listening to him, they have a choice. They have a choice to obey or not to obey. And Jesus, he knows that all of them, they can say the right thing afterwards. It's easy for people to call him Lord, but he knows that many of them, when it comes down to it, are not actually going to do what he says. They will talk the talk, but they won't walk the walk. So to warn them, Jesus illustrates the fate of those two choices with his analogy. It's pretty simple, and I'm sure you've heard it before, right? So hearing Jesus' words and doing what he says is like building a house on a solid foundation. You prepare well, you dig deep, you use the right materials. The house that's built on a solid foundation is strong and will stay standing when the flood comes. But on the other hand, hearing Jesus' words and not doing what he says is like building a house with no foundation at all. You don't prepare, you don't bother digging, you don't care what material is under it, and you don't have to be a builder to know that a house like that can't stand up to much. When the flood comes, the house collapses and is completely destroyed. Jesus is telling us here that it's not enough to just listen to him. It's not even enough to call him Lord. What we need to do is actually do what he says. Verse 47, it's the person who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice who builds the house on rock. Otherwise, we're just kidding ourselves. We're just being hypocrites. We're saying one thing, but we're doing something different. We're calling Jesus Lord, but we're not obeying him. And the fate of those who don't obey Jesus, he says, is destruction when the final judgment comes. See, Jesus teaches that there will be a final judgment when those in his kingdom will be separated from those who are not. Those in his kingdom to eternal life with him in heaven and those who are not to eternal destruction in hell. And Jesus' words to us here is that it depends not on what we say but on what we do. So there are two options. Option one, we hear and we obey, which means we build on a solid foundation so we withstand judgment and we enter eternal life in heaven with God. Or option two, we hear but we do not obey which means we have no foundation, so we will fall on judgment and have eternal destruction in hell.
See, as Christians, our, our obedience and our good works, they don't save us, right? We know that. They don't save us, but they are the evidence of us being saved. Jesus saved us so that we would and we could obey him. So let me ask you this. If you call yourself a Christian, if you call Jesus your Lord, are you obeying him? Well, let me put it in the opposite way. Is there an area of your life where you are actively and persistently disobeying him? Because if there is, Jesus is warning you that you could be in a very dangerous place. That perhaps your house does not have a foundation. And that you could be in danger when the final judgment comes. Maybe there's an area of your life where you're finding it hard to obey Jesus. Let me tell you a story of someone who found it really hard to obey Jesus. It's a story about uh, a lady named Corrie ten Boom. There's a photo of her coming up. She was a Dutch Christian who lived uh, during World War II. So after Germany invaded the Netherlands, uh, she and her family helped to hide Jewish refugees. Sadly, they were betrayed. Uh, They got arrested, and they too were sent to concentration camps. And there, most of the family perished. Uh, By a miracle, she herself survived. And and so after the war, she went on to do humanitarian work, uh, teaching and sharing the gospel, uh, and also she wrote many books about her experiences. And in one of her books, uh, called The Hiding Place, she she writes about this encounter she had in, uh, in a church in Germany after the war. She just delivered a message there, uh, and, and afterwards, uh, after church, when they were just hanging around, uh, this man comes up to her. And in shock, she realizes that this man was one of her Nazi jailers. He comes up to her. He's smiling. He's polite. And he says to her, how grateful I am for your message, Fräulein, to think that, as you say, my sins are washed away. And he holds out his hand to shake hers. But in that moment for Corey, it all comes rushing back. The concentration camp, the rooms, the guards, uh, the people mocking her, her sister who died in that camp, her face contorted in pain. And she writes this. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for the stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness, any more than on our goodness, that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the command, the love itself. I get a little bit emotional reading that. I think it's just incredible. It's so raw. Uh, Corey doesn't hide how much she struggled in that moment. Here is someone who has gone through unimaginable pain and suffering and trauma, and she's come face to face with one of her perpetrators. And in that moment, she knew that Jesus called her to forgive him. And incredibly, she does. 
she didn't have the strength in herself to do it. You see, she, she had to pray and pray, and Jesus gave her the strength and the love to forgive her Nazi jailer. Obeying Jesus can be hard. It can be even impossible sometimes. But Jesus doesn't give us impossible commands and then just wish us luck, right? He helps us. He gives us the strength. He goes before us and he leads the way. Corey Ten Boom could only forgive her jailer because she knew that God had forgiven him first, that Jesus had died to forgive him. And she also knew that Jesus died to forgive her too. Where are you finding it hard to obey Jesus? Maybe like Corey, uh, there, there are people that you need to forgive. Remember that Jesus died to forgive that person and to forgive you. Maybe there's a relationship you shouldn't be in. Remember that Jesus died to give you a perfect relationship with God that satisfies you eternally. Maybe you have trouble holding your tongue, whether it's gossiping or swearing or losing a temper. Remember that Jesus held his tongue even as people lied about him, spat on him, mocked him, and eventually led him to be killed on the cross. Will you obey Jesus by following his example and through the strength that he gives? If you do, you show that you trust in him, that you have built your house on a solid foundation, that you will stand when the judgment comes, and that you will live forever with God in heaven. Or will you listen but not obey? being like the man who builds a house without a foundation. Because Jesus tells us that the fate of that person, the hypocrite, is destruction when the judgment comes. But the problem of hypocrisy goes, goes deeper than just obeying or not obeying. And so this takes us to our second point today, the heart of the hypocrite. And to see this, we're going to go back a few verses. So come with me back to chapter 6, verse 43. I'm going to read for us from 43 to 45. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Jesus uses fruit trees to make the point that what is on the outside reflects what's on the inside. You know a tree by its fruit. You see grapes, it's a grapevine. You see figs, it's a fig tree. You see thorns, well, it's a thorn bush, right? Whether a person does good or evil comes from within. Our, our actions and our words are an overflow of our heart. Now, I want you to notice for a second where these verses fit into this chapter of Luke. Um, we've already talked about verses 46 to 49. It's a bit small, sorry. Uh, but you can see it on the screen. Um, we, we heard that verses 46 to 49 are about hypocrisy, right? People who call Jesus Lord but do not do what he says. But have a look back at verses 41 to 42. Notice there that Jesus also talks about hypocrisy. He talks about people who judge others for having a speck in their eye when they themselves have a plank in their own eye. And I think what Jesus is doing by putting verses 43 to 45 between the other two bits, he's saying that hypocrisy ultimately is a heart problem. When we listen but don't obey, 
It's because our hearts are full of evil and far from God. We simply don't want to do what he says. We might call Jesus Lord, but we don't let him be Lord. The problem is not just what we do. It's what's in our hearts. So the question for us isn't just, are you obeying or disobeying God? The bigger question for us is, where is your heart with God? Now, the problem with that question is that our hearts are deceitful, and we can think our hearts are okay with God when they're not. So I'm going to ask you a different question instead. Do you love what God loves and hate what God hates? Because I think that shows us where our hearts are with God. Let me give you some examples. Do you love the lost? Do you love people who don't know Jesus yet? Do you love them enough to reach out to them, to boldly share your faith with them and tell them about Jesus? Or is evangelism just too hard? Other people can go and do that. Do you hate injustice and exploitation? Do you hate the systems in this world that make the poor poorer and the rich richer, that reward selfishness and greed, and punish honesty and generosity? Or are you indifferent to them? That's just how the world is. Do you love the church? Do you love this ragtag bunch of people full of imperfections and hurt and tensions, but immensely loved by Jesus? Or do you love to complain about church? Do you hate sin? Do you hate sin? Not just in other people, but in yourself, your own sin. Does it appall you? Do you want to do everything you can to get rid of its sticky and filthy presence? Or are you comfortable with it? It's just who I am. If those questions make you uncomfortable, and trust me, they make me uncomfortable, right? I think it might mean that your heart, my heart, might not be fully in the right place with God. But the solution to the problem, it's not just to do better. It's not just to try harder and be a better person. We can try harder and harder to be a pe- better person, but that's not going to solve the root problem. It's kind, of like, it's kind of like taking Panadol if you're having a heart attack. Panadol might make the pain in your chest feel a little bit better, right? But it's not going to save that dying heart tissue. What you need is emergency treatment in hospital. You need a stent or or cardiac bypass surgery, right? Taking Panadol for a heart attack is just treating the symptom of the problem, not the problem itself. And in the same way, just doing good works is just treating the symptom, not the problem itself. A heart problem needs a heart solution. So again, what's the solution then? The solution is to come back to the gospel to come back to the gospel, to see God's heart, and to have our hearts reignited by Jesus. Because you see, in the gospel, in the good news at the heart of Christianity, we see the heart of God. We see God's heart that burns with love for his people and for the lost, who would stop at nothing to save them, to bring them back to himself, who even gave up his son Jesus to die for us. We see in God's heart a heart that burns for justice and righteousness, who will right every wrong and restore everything back into perfect harmony when Jesus comes back. 
We see God's heart that burns against all evil and sin and everything that is opposed to his glory, who has defeated Satan and conquered death so that we who follow Jesus can live forever under his rule in unimaginable joy, just the way things are meant to be. When we see in the gospel the heart of God, when we get it with the help of God's spirit, our hearts are changed. Our hearts catch fire from the flame of God's heart. God's heart becomes our heart. We love what he loves and we hate what he hates. And we are compelled to obey him. So where is your heart with God? Beneath the problem of hypocrisy and and disobedience is a heart problem. And if your heart is far from God, come back to the gospel. Remind yourself. Teach yourself the gospel every day. Find in it the heart of God and pray that he will give you a heart that is soft that is warm, that is on fire for him. Our passage today has been a heavy one. Uh, So far we've seen Jesus' warning against hypocrisy, that the fate of those who call him Lord but don't do what he says is eternal destruction. And then we've seen how the problem runs deeper than just what we do. It comes from our hearts. But I want to finish today, and I need to finish today, on a high note. Because the gospel, after all, is good news, isn't it? And the good news for all of us, is that Jesus loves hypocrites, whether we're Christian or not. Our third point is that there is hope for the hypocrite. We've been talking a lot about today, mostly today, about hypocritical Christians, when, when, what Jesus says to people who call him Lord but don't do what he says. But, but we have to realise that at the end of the day, whether we call ourselves Christians or not, we're all hypocrites. All of us fail to practise what we preach. All of us judge other people for doing the wrong thing, but then do the same thing ourselves. Let me, let me give you a personal example of this, okay? Driving. When I'm driving, I love to criticize and judge other people's driving, right? Uh, and I can tell you this. If I'm driving and someone speeds through a yellow light or someone makes a dangerous turn or, or someone cuts in front of me, uh, you, you'll hear me mutter something like, man, what a jerk, or, well, that's so dangerous, or, dude, that guy's crazy, right? But then, sometimes I get this wave of perspective. I go, wait a minute. What about all the times that I ran a yellow light? Or, or I made a dangerous turn? Or, or I cut in front of someone, right? Oh, well, there's always a reason for it, right? There's always an excuse. Oh, it's because I'm running late for work. Or it was a small gap, but it was big enough for me. Or everyone does it, so I can do it from time to time, right? But do you see, I'm a hypocritical driver. I I judge other people for their dodgy driving, but then I do the same things. And perhaps that resonates with you. Or or maybe it doesn't. Maybe it's something else for you. Maybe maybe you hate it when people talk about you behind your back. But you don't have a problem gossiping about other people. Or maybe you hate it when people lie to you. But it's fine for you to lie from time to time. We all do things that we judge other people for. We're all hypocrites in our own ways. None of us lives up to even our own standards. And if we don't live up to our own standards, how can we live up to God's standards, God's perfect standards? We all fall short of God's standards. We have all been disobedient to him. And so, like the man who built his house without a foundation, our faith 
is destruction when the final judgment comes. But here's the good news. The hope for all people, for all hypocrites everywhere, the good news is that where we fail, Jesus succeeds. Where we fall short, Jesus measures up. Where we are disobedient, Jesus is perfectly obedient. And Jesus gives his obedience to us. There's a passage that will come up on the screen. It's Romans chapter 5, verse 19. Paul the Apostle writes, For, for just as through the disobedience of the one man, Adam, uh, sorry, uh, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. Uh, Paul the Apostle compares Jesus with Adam, just like Adam. Sorry, let me start again. The first person, Adam, disobeyed God, and he transferred his condition to us. Every single human in history since Adam has followed in his footsteps of disobedience, except Jesus. Jesus obeyed God. And like Adam, he also transferred his condition to us. He offers us his obedience and righteousness. And he did that when he died on the cross. See, when Jesus died on the cross, he did two things. He took all of our sin and our evil and our disobedience, he took it on himself and he paid the price for it. He experienced the destruction that was our fate. He went through hell in our place. But the other thing that he did was he gave us his righteousness and his obedience. Jesus swapped our disobedience for his righteousness, our sin for his obedience. Which means that if we accept Jesus, if we trust in what he did for us and we follow him, God sees us as perfectly obedient. Not because of us, but because of what Jesus has done. That's why we can stand in the final judgment. That's why we can look forward to eternity in heaven with God. That's why we can say that we are saved. Because God looks at us and he sees Jesus' perfect obedience. And Jesus did all of that because he loves us. He loves hypocrites like you and me. Isn't that good news? So if you're a follower of Jesus... What this means is that you can take comfort in him. Yes, Jesus does call us to obey him from a transformed heart. That's what our first two points were all about. But it means that we don't need to be crushed when we fail. Because we will fail. As long as we are alive on this earth, we will fail often. But that's okay. Because Christ's obedience is sufficient. Where we fail, he succeeds. So you can take comfort in that. But if you're here and you don't yet follow Jesus, Jesus offers hope for you too. Jesus hates hypocritical Christians just like you do. But Jesus does not let us point the finger at other people. He gets us to point at ourselves. Because we are all hypocrites. You, like everybody else, also need Jesus. And today you've heard Jesus' words. So are you going to accept his offer to swap his righteousness for your sin, his obedience for your disobedience. And are you going to obey him because your heart's been struck by God's heart that burns in love for you? Because if you do, Jesus says that you are like the man who builds his house on a foundation of rock. 
when the flood comes and the torrent strikes, you will not be shaken. And you too can look forward to spending eternity in heaven with the God who loves you so much, he would die for you. Let's pray. Our great Father God, we thank you for your word, even though today it's been a hard one. We thank you most of all for Jesus, who saves all hypocrites, all of us. We thank you that where we fail, he succeeds. Help us to be people who not only call you Lord, but also do what you say. May our hearts be on fire for Jesus, compelled by your love to obey you. We also ask for those here who don't yet follow you. May they be struck by your love for them. Change their hearts too, so they may obey Jesus and have eternal life with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.